Hey everyone, open your ears, cause you're about to hear the first episode of our Rough Draft Podcast show. Listen to it at home or when you're on the go. So sit down and relax. Nothing rhymes with relax. Get ready, close your eyes, cause we don't doubt you're gonna be inspired by what we talk about. But don't close your eyes if you're driving, because we can't afford a lawsuit. Rough Draft Podcast Show! Starts now. <laughs> what a talent. Thank you, My Austin. God. I tried. What are you doing here? Well, uh, what are we doing here is the question. That is the question. And luckily... I have a statement prepared to answer that question. Please read aloud. <clears throat> Rough Draft is an hour-long podcast highlighting the burgeoning creative culture developed in York, Pennsylvania. From local artists to renowned talents, Rough Draft plans to explore the greatest creative minds York has to offer. We invite you to join us on this journey. Please join us. So buckle up, bitches. But we also have another mission statement. This one's more true to heart. Who we really are, kind of. Nicole, if you would. I would love to. So Austin and I came up with this podcast idea when we were just, you know, juniors, sophomores, little tiny babies. And we're so excited to get it, you know, on track. We're so excited. So we just wanted to tell you our mission statement. So at Rough Draft, this is a podcast brought to you by the York Review at York College of Pennsylvania. The York Review is our on-campus literary magazine, which features much more than just the literary world. Let's face it, in college, it's a good day if you even put pants on. None of us have our shit together yet, and we're all just rough drafts of who we want to be. So let's just talk about stuff. We may not completely understand something by the time we're done talking about it, but we're better off than when we started. And isn't that really the point of everything? Uh, Sorry, I had to do that. Very poetic. Thank you. So, we're just so excited to get this kicked off. I just can't wait. I think someone's yelling outside. Yeah, so... But that's just the rough draft nature. Yep. You know? Oh, we're recording in a closet. In a closet. Harry I mean, Potter had a better setup than we do. He did. At least he had a bed. We got a MacBook. So. True. I mean, you win some, you lose some. You do. Speaking of Harry Potter... <laughs> Harry Potter! Harry Potter! Harry Potter! Oh! So, speaking of Harry Potter, um, we wanted our first episode to be all about how we choose to escape into certain types of reading and why we choose these, you know, fantasy, science fiction. (laughs) Austin is stroking his beard. We're thinking about. You are so literary. Thank you. We're thinking about, you know, why we choose to escape. And we were lucky enough for our first episode to have. The Virgil of Geekery, Ryan Britt, on our podcast. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's big news. Like, it's a big deal. It's the biggest deal. We're setting the bar a little high for ourselves on the first episode. Who, I yeah. mean, who are we going to have next? Oprah? Oprah, maybe. I don't I know. Mean, I don't know if I'd enjoy Oprah. Maybe she wouldn't make the cut. I mean, I wouldn't talk about Oprah like that. <laughs> she has millions of followers. Yeah, she has ears everywhere. We're going to cut that. Gail's everywhere. So, Austin, you've gotten the chance to interview Ryan Britt this past week, and I think it would be a great idea for you to just let the audience know what they're about to hear for the next 59 minutes. Oh, God. Well, it's going to be fire. Straight <laughs> off the bat, fire. It's lit up in her. It's lit. But, yeah, nerve-wracking experience. I was embarrassed to bring him in this closet. He's Harry a Potter's nationally name. published author. 
coming to do a podcast in a closet for some college. So Two little assholes. Yeah, exactly. Obviously a really cool guy. I felt out of my league, but he was really accommodating. Um, gave us like 40 minutes of material. And it's going to be a great debut. And that's what I have to say about that. Thanks. Super call. excited. Should we high five? High five. First episode, bitches. Enjoy. Yeah. Woo! Thanks for coming here today. Sure, man. Kind of read up on a little about you. I've heard you're the Virgil geekery. <laughs> yeah, not my words, but yeah, sure. I mean, I'd take it. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a, it's a sweet thing, yeah. And I read this article where you talked about your decision to write Luke Skywalker Can't Read. Beforehand, you said you were in the midst of like a serious novel type thing. What inspired you to change that? Why did you switch from what you consider a serious novel? Money. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that I just... I realized that there was a there was a little bit of a, a pipe dream to that novel that I was working on at that time, and I didn't have any experience um, in completing something of that length, and I didn't have the confidence to okay. do it. And so it felt like if I just kept putting it off, I could always say, you know, that I was working on a novel. I could always yeah. be, I'm working on a novel, I'm working of on course. a novel, right? But I was like. I know how to complete essays, and I know how the, some of the essays that I've done smaller versions of could be bigger. And so suddenly I was like, I had the confidence that I didn't have. Now it's weird, after having written one book, I'm like, oh man, now I know how to finish a novel. Like Now I have the confidence. I, I needed to complete a book piecemeal for some reason. Okay. To be like, okay, put this with this, and then oh, I'm writing a new thing in the middle, and you know. That, I think, was really helpful for me, and that's not how a lot of people work. That's the thing, though, is, is that once I realized that I didn't have to do it, I always had been comparing myself to like, how the way other people I knew, friends or, or, or sort of like, you know, heroes or mentors, how they had done Such it. A problem and I was that. like, yeah, yeah, it's not, I'm just not going to do it like that. I'm going to do it like this. And then that gave me confidence because I was like, oh, well, you're allowed to do things however <laughs> you, you want. So it wasn't like at the expense of the novel, which I think sometimes I've maybe said, it was just because I didn't, I lacked the confidence to complete it at that time. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah, I read the book and I thought you covered like a lot of serious topics. Like, Thanks, man. But do you think like the geek culture kind of framework disqualifies it from serious topics? No, I think that, um, I think that I, I am covering some serious topics, um, albeit through like things that I like writing about. But yeah, just because something is frivolous, like right, like Star Wars is frivolous and talking about Star Wars is frivolous, I'm like, no, 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 other people have talked about it in a frivolous way. Let's talk about it for real, you know? But at the same time, like there's also, there's also been academic writing done about Tolkien, you know, like Lord of the Rings yeah. or Harry Potter. You know, I met a woman on book tour who was like a Harry Potter scholar who I was totally terrified of. Because oh, wow. I was just sort of like, actually, like I don't really like writing about it in that academic way either. Not that there's anything wrong with that. So I try to do a little bit of both, you know, do like the sort of like academic analysis of something yeah. with like a pop essay that you might read on the internet and sort of see if I could do it at the same time. I don't know if I succeeded. I would prefer other people to talk about my book in a serious way if they, if they felt like it. Like the Captain Space Pirate essay? You oh, could cool. read that and be like, dismiss it as like sci-fi junk. Yeah. Not sci Sorry, I use junk. I don't mean no, sci-fi No, no, it's junk. fine. I, say, I use the word junk all the time. Um, but yeah, like you really... 
describe that kind of thing where if you're part of a subculture, you seem like everyone else gets rejected out of that subculture. They can't really understand you, and it's kind of counterproductive for you getting your word out there. Yeah, I mean, I've always felt like an outsider, you know, among outsiders. So I've always felt a little bit, I'm, I'm a nerd or a geek and I'm into all that stuff, but I've always felt a little bit different, you know, and some of that is just like in my own head probably, but some of it I think is because there's more to talk about in these subcultures than I think that is. It's not just like everybody's a geek and being a geek is cool now and that's it. Yeah. You know, I thought that that's a little bit reductive and I thought that that is a little bit boring, you know, and, and then the conversation ends up only going a few ways, you know. It, like a small example would be like in the book that I say somewhere in there about people will be like, oh, you know, like you'll talk to like a, a person like at a party or something like that yeah. about Star Wars. And if you talk about Star Wars long enough with people who are intelligent, someone will say, well, you know that George Lucas was just obsessed with Joseph Campbell, and so everything in Star Wars is based on the hero's journey. And it's like one of those things where it's, okay, can we all agree that at this point we're all smart enough to have already known that and already heard that? And that also, saying that isn't like a particularly helpful conversation starter. No, it just shuts it down. It just shuts it down. It's just like, I know more about storytelling and mythology than you, but not really, because I'm just like referencing this thing. And so it's just like not super interesting. And so I find that a lot of geek discourse ends up with somebody being like, and that is the final word, and I don't feel that way at all. Like, I feel like that, like, I'm like, this is just my angle on some of this stuff, and I'm actually totally fine to talk about my stuff and be like, oh, I actually did somebody's, like, disagree with you, and be like, okay, that's cool. That's totally loud. You know? Exactly. Don't jump on them. <laughs> yeah, but I, I definitely... You know, tonight I'll talk about this a little bit, but if you wanna if you wanna find out what it feels like to be George Lucas, you should publish some of your opinions about Star Wars and see how people come at you. It's really something. They do. <laughs> yeah, they do. Uh, online, I bet you yeah. get it a bunch now. Yeah. There's a there's a there's a nerd rage that I still have not gotten to the bottom of where it comes from. But geek culture definitely has gone mainstream now. Everywhere. Movies, T V. But why do you think that is? Is there any certain reasons it's Blown up in popularity. I think that there's a difference between popularity and acceptance, right? Yeah. So, okay, science fiction has always been popular, right? Like, it's always been popular. This is an interesting fact I learned recently. I was reading the new Leonard Nimoy biography that's written by William oh, Shatner. Yeah. I was reviewing it, and Leonard Nimoy was nominated for an Emmy. An Emmy every year that the original Star Trek was on the air. He didn't win. Oh, wow. He's nominated. That is the mainstream establishment. Yeah. Saying true. this guy is considered one of the best actors in the, that, yeah, that's like, you know, that's Brian Cranston won an Emmy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Nimoy before he was this, you know, lauded, respected kind of elder statesman actor that we think of him as today, he was just Spock on Star Trek, he was nominated for an Emmy. You know, H. G. Wells novels, very popular. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, Jules Verne's novels were very popular. Short stories published by, you know, Le Guin under her, when she wrote on other, other names, Margaret Atwood, published in, in Playboy, were very popular. Science fiction and fantasy has always been popular. It's just a question of whether or not it was accepted by sort of the, you know, intelligent mainstream, right? Or yeah. by mainstream media. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so in that way, we've seen a change. And that is partially, I think, because time has passed. It's really nothing more than time having passed. It's like, you know, people... I'm 34, right? So when I was in grade school, Star Trek The Next Generation was on. It was not cool to like Star Trek then. It just wasn't. But then as time passed, it, that became retroactively cool. Star Wars was always cool. Like, Star Wars was always cool. Nerding out about Star Wars and knowing all the minutiae about it has never been cool. 
and turns out still isn't really. Not quite. Not quite. And so the 70s, late 70s, you think about like Star Wars or like Alien, and then early 80s, mid 80s, all the 80s from something like Blade Runner to Back to the Future. All of those films were so popular that I think that anybody who grew up with them then became the people that were sort of the mainstream of culture after that. And then that just sort of perpetuated itself to, to present day. Technology's relevant. I mean, how could you have made an Avengers movie in 1975 yeah. and have it not look hokey? <laughs> you would have had it all Especially. just, right? Like, the only way to make them Painted up Hulk. <laughs> the only way to have made a serious superhero movie then is if they were just all on their, you know, person guises. You know, if they made like a courtroom drama about, you know, uh, Matt Murdock. <laughs> Right, from yeah. Daredevil. It was like, well, we did this great Daredevil movie. He's only Daredevil for one scene. But the rest of it was just Oscar-winning courtroom drama. You know, he's blind. You know, there's no way you could do it. And so I think that the, the technology helps, that, that, that a lay person who, like, doesn't care. And let's face it, most people didn't care about a lot of those Marvel heroes until, until, recently. until recently. Um, they, couldn't, they couldn't really do it. The Spider-Man films, the early ones, the Sam Raimi ones from 2002. Yeah. Uh, those films, like... Are completely reliant on the fact that they that at the time they looked really 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 good. Now it's funny. Now we're like, oh man, the first Miami Spider-Man looks like crap. It's like yeah, but like at the time, I I remember being like, at that time it was like the only other superhero movie that looked that good was the first X-Men, and before yes. that it was like the Reeves Superman movies, right? <laughs> so it had been a while since something like looked good. And like the, you could argue the Batman films, like the Burton ones, but those were never really trying to look realistic. No, they went you know, for They kind of went for, you know, and the Schumacher yeah. ones obviously really don't, but the technology helped, I think. That's a long answer. You can edit this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right, that kind of brings me to the next one. Do you think the term geek should kind of be phrased out? It still kind of holds that like derogatory thing, but um, now that everyone's embracing it, do you think that's going to get phased out or just accept it more? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I got to be perfectly honest with you. The, when I first conceived of this book, the original title was You Are Not a Geek. Because um, I kind of okay. felt like confronting that question. You know what I mean? And that is something, and I actually have written like an op-ed, you know, okay. about that idea, about the origins of the word and how a lot of it is a little bit pejorative. You know, but... I don't know. It's tricky because it is a nice shorthand that people understand. Personally, if it were me, yeah, I would want to phase it out. But I also recognize that it means something to various communities that to take it away from them would possibly like, like that they wouldn't be empowered in the same way. Okay. You know what I mean? And so like if, 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 we, if we lose geek, but then that means that certain groups are not empowered, um, then I would say that that's bad. You know what I mean? Like, do I like the term fanboy? No, I don't. Do I like the term fangirl? Well, kind of, because I feel like it's empowering for, 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 uh, yeah, for, you know, for, for fans that don't identify as male. You know what I mean? So then if, you know, so that would be what I would say, is that if somebody wants to call themselves a geek, that it might be, um, it might be helping um, engender a sort of um, confidence now. Okay. You know, that it might not have before. The problem is is when the media gets a when like mainstream media gets a hold of it. Yeah. And and messes with it in that way. But that that's something that like you're never gonna be able to control. It, it's I prefer it, I suppose. I think it's a label we have to live with for now. You okay. know what I mean? Like for yeah. me personally. Um 
I, I was corresponding with a um, woman uh, who, uh, Paula Block, is an editor, edited the Star Trek novels at Pocket Books for years. Oh, wow. And I'm writing, an, I'm writing a piece about Star Trek, um, uh, the meeting of Star Trek, for um, this website called Dan of Geek. And um, so I've been interviewing different Star Trek writers and stuff like that. And she had, she wrote back to me, like, it's good to find a fellow geek. And I was like, this woman's like 25 years older than me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And she didn't say Trekkie, you know, which is a term I loathe. Um, but I was like, ah, well, this woman's like a way bigger, like, giant in this field than I am. And it's okay for her to use that term. So what's my problem? Do you see what I mean? Yeah. See, so that's what I, I have. I have many minds of this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's crazy. Sorry, long answer again. Oh, no, I love the long answers. <laughs> Um, okay, so I'm going to move on to fine, yeah. kind of your title essay. Sure. Um, you bring up the argument of the majority of Star Wars, functionally illiterate, sure. can't really, can kind of read, read symbols and stuff. Yeah. Um, how did you even develop this train of thought? I don't think this has ever been like even mentioned before. Um, you know, the, I think it was a joke. Like I was, I think it was like like many ideas I have. I'll say something as a joke. Okay. Um, to like a group of friends, and then I'll kind of see where it leads me. I think that I, I think that it came about because um, I am, at the time that I first came up with this essay, it was 2012, early in 2012. Okay. And, and the thing about Star Wars is that it's so easy to make fun of Star Wars because there's so much great about it, but there's so much wrong with it. And not just, not just, not just in the sort of typical... Spanish dismissals of like George Lucas or the special editions of the prequels, blah blah blah. Yeah, but just yeah. in the basic like, uh, wait, why they're siblings? But what? Like you know, <laughs> like what? How the hell did not did, did these people not know who? What happened to Anakin Skywalker? Like Darth, Darth Vader just came out of nowhere and everybody just accepted the fact that he was uh, like a, like a sort of like a, an official in this army. Like where did all these guys come from who worked for the Imperial Navy? You know what I mean? Like all this kind of wow. stuff. You know where yeah. you're just like there's just almost no, and this is even before, you don't even think about the prequels. You know, this is just at the regular movies. You know there was that great you know robot chicken joke where you know they blow up the Death Star in Return of the Jedi and they're like well I guess we lost. And it's like, well, what do you mean? Like, you blew up another Death Star and you guys didn't lose, you know? So it's, there's so much that doesn't make sense about it that it's almost like sport if you love Star Wars to sort of poke holes in it. And I, I, and I, love, I love that. Like, and I think that this was one of... It started as that, as me okay. just sort of being like, yeah, whatever. I think I might have just said to somebody, I was like, whatever, Luke Skywalker is illiterate, you know? <laughs> Like, dude can't read. And then yeah. I started, and then I was like, well, that's actually interesting. Like, and so then I actually started thinking about it, and I decided to, like, see if, I started to test it a little bit and see what it meant. And I found that it opened up a line of inquiry to me that was really interesting, which is, which is the way that I work often. It, it, really? It, it, I, is, I mean, it, yeah, it, it's that, like, I often will be, like, you know, kind of like not, uh, like, the opposite of science, you know what I mean? Where I'll just be like, okay, here's, like, because I don't have to prove anything, right? Like, I'm just opening true. a line of inquiry. You know, and my, my line of inquiry is to be like, all right, let's investigate this and let's see what the implications are, not just for Star Wars, but for other science fiction fantasy worlds, which, if we're talking about science fiction fantasy worlds, we're only talking about our own world, like, in parallel ways. <laughs> and so that's really interesting to me, and that's what I like, that's, like, where I like taking this kind of writing, is to be like, which is why I am frustrated with some hardcore Star Wars fans who just want to, like, fight me tooth and nail on every little detail, because I'm just like, do you understand that like all of that we can all we can we could do that all day 
Yes. You know, and and I could still have a point, and you could still have a point, but like that's not the larger. No, yeah, it seems like they ignore your larger meaning just for these money detail type the, of the, things. The, the joke that I've been, that I'm making, uh, I've made, and uh, you'll hear me say this later, is that Star Wars fans or people that have come at me and been like, um, I think that Luke Taylor can read have not read my book, you know, so okay. it's like, it sort of like proves, it sort of proves its own premise. Um, yeah, I mean, essentially I think that what is, what's compelling to me about thinking about an illiterate culture that has all this technology is that it seems like that there would be, it would be very easy for there to be information gaps. Um, and then you think about our own culture and how it's possible for someone to not have all the facts about politics or whatever and um, be upset nonetheless about something. And that is exactly like what happens in Star Wars for the most part is that like people are motivated not by information but by like feeling and how that is both good and bad. And in the case of Star Wars, it's like the people that have the information are either murdered or are in charge. You know, and so there's something very interesting to me about that, about the idea that that the emperor is seemingly literate and like the and it, it seems to have a lot of information, and that like Yoda and the Jedi Knight seem to have information, but that they the dark side literally gets rid of information. Yeah, you can, it, the dark side literally me. creates an information gap. Like that is actually the main, the main. You know, when I when I started when I started working on this, like you know, the first version was like 900 words, and I started working on it for the book. Expand on I was like, wow, it really is the lack of information is the conflict in Star Wars. Yeah, I've never thought about you that. Know. That kind of blew my mind. Like, you brought up even about the Senate, like, even the cameras weren't really going anywhere. Either. Right, there's no journalism, you know, and then and so then you start thinking about media theory and you start thinking about, you know, Marshall McLuhan and medium is the message and all that. And then you start going, okay, so if a culture is totally reliant on visual communication, then there's every reason to believe that they don't need... You know, which is a huge leap, I understand. And, but it's also a leap that I think that if a reader goes with me on, then they can start to be like, huh, that's interesting. Yeah, people that are impoverished and in poor economic situations, bad economic yeah. situations, generally are literate. Luke Skywalker is extremely poor, as are most of the people that live in these planets. You know what I mean? Like, you know, um, and that like the force is sort of like this catch-all for like sort of people being into intuit information. Like, where they can try to sort of, like, get by. Even in the new film, it's like Rey is able to fly, like, the Millennium Falcon sort of bought by magic, which I like, because it, it gives, like, the idea that there's hope to someone who's, like, motivated. <clears throat> but, like, you know, Rey and Finn, you know, clearly don't have any idea of very recent history, you know. So can they do, can they read a limited amount? Sure, but, I mean, there's definitely no one reading for fun. No, <laughs> and you brought that yeah. up. Um, a really good point I liked you made about that is... Um, like you say, there's not really a need for escapism in these crazy worlds. Um, but with the rise of all like the fantasy, the Marvel stuff, there clearly is here. Mm -hmm. um, do you think, why do you think escapism is kind of coming up instead of the more realistic drama type stuff that's well, cause to it, Well, because I don't think it's escapism. I, okay. I, I actually don't think it's escapism. I think that it is, um, you know, we just finished talking about you know, Star Wars, and, like, you know, you, you lay out the bare bones of it being, like, oh, a large populace is not understanding what its government is doing because a lot of people are poor and or don't have access to the information. 
That doesn't sound like escapism to me. No. <laughs> true. <laughs> that that sounds true. that sounds pretty normal. You know, I made a I was making a joke about um, I've been making this I've been really annoying about this with The Force Awakens about where I've been like, well look, if Harrison Ford were in a film in which he played like a seventy year old like dad who was estranged from his wife and was committing like petty crime to get by, who had who was also estranged from his son, who was like an urban terrorist. People would be like, they're all nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. Like Harrison Ford would be nominated for a Golden Globe and an Academy Award as that estranged father. But because it's set in outer space and it's called Star Wars, it's like, well, that's not serious. It's like, no, it's extremely serious. Wow. The, 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 new, the new Star Wars film is, is perhaps the most psychologically realistic one yet. Like, I mean, Harrison, Harrison Ford's on Solo, uh, spoiler alert, everyone who hasn't <laughs> seen the new Star Wars film, but in, in the Star Wars films that exist, the the pathos and like psychological development of that character is fairly fairly thin. It's like he's like he he's he's a jerk. Yeah. Uh, he's a good guy, and then he's sort of like a, a side character. You know, in this, it's like he is an estranged father coping with the fact that his son has become essentially like the equivalent of like a school shooter. Oh you know, in God. our own culture, and the fact that like someone who we think of as being like a carefree um, hero. A carefree sort of James Bond hero is like an older, petty criminal, who is having to like deal with the fact that he feels like he failed as a father because his son is an urban terrorist. Like that is heavy, it's you really know. And so, heavy. so to so to answer your question is I don't think that it's escapism. I think that that is, and I don't think that Star Wars ever was, um, and I don't think that any good fantasy or science fiction truly is. Um, you think about, you know, the original Star Wars is that the idea that. Coping with the idea that your parents were once kind of kind of cool and yeah. became awful is an extremely depressing thought, you know. And so the idea that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father is very serious for all of us because all of us are like, yeah, my my parents are the worst, and and there maybe your parents did make mistakes. And for anyone who's you know like my father was an alcoholic, you know, and died because of it, you know, like that's kind of like Darth Vader, you know what I mean? And so for me, that's not escapism; it's comfort. You know, like to me that this kind of storytelling is comfort because it says here's and obviously all the spectacle, you know, lightsabers yeah. and spaceships and stuff like that. Um, you know, those are ways of telling the story to make it exciting and interesting. But I don't think that it works without a human core. I don't think it works because I think that you. I tried to think of an example like of something that is just that is just. I actually don't really. People like love really love Guardians of the Galaxy, and I think that it's okay. But I think the Guardians of the Galaxy is a little bit hollow. It's a little bit of a hollow okay. film for me because I feel like that it, any of that stuff is sort of borrowed. Like any of the family stuff is sort of borrowed from other films. It doesn't. It feels like it's just kind of about the. I mean, the fight the scenes spectacle. in that movie are really long. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> you know, where you're just sort of like, I don't know. That doesn't yeah. seem like I. Then it seems like it's more like like if it were pornography, you'd be like, well, this is the money shot. Yeah. You know what I mean, where you like, where you like, where you like, here's like a really long fight between. Uh, Karen Gillan's character and Zoe Saldana's character that's like really long and like if this was Star Wars like real Star Wars I mean think about the fight scenes in The Force Awakens they're very short True. like this fight that like Finn has like in that, in that film yeah it's like five seconds yeah it just kind of it's just like, it, it just sort of gives you the idea of what the story's supposed to be but yeah I, I, Lev Grossman you know who's a buddy of mine um, kind of I, I one of the conversations I had with him was about escapism and stuff like that and you know 
I think that I like what he did with his novels because he incorporated uh, someone who was a reader, his protagonist Quentin Coldwater, in those novels, is a reader who then goes on a fantasy adventure. I think that I think that's kind of like a next gen, like it's sort of like next level, yeah. fantasy epic where somebody's a reader who's into fantasy and sci-fi who then ha oh. enters it. Might have to steal that idea. Well, that's, that's what the Magicians is about. Um, that's what those novels are about. Uh, I've never read that. They're really cool. I have to check yeah. them out. It's like Narnia. It's like basically like this kid's into like these books, and it's like they're kind of like Narnia. And then it's like he goes to like a magic school, and they're all like those books are dumb. And then he finds out that that world is real. <laughs> you know, wow. it's totally awesome. I have to check that out. Yeah, they're definitely. really good. Cool. Sorry. Oh no, yeah. I love it. Um, can we take a break just for a second? Sure. Kind of serious kind of stuff. Sure. And can I ask you? Who, who are Ray's parents? Sorry. Oh, you want to get the real stuff? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I don't know. I would say I think that the, I think you're supposed to believe that Luke Skywalker's her father in that last scene. Um, and now you know I I read that Laura Dern's cast in the second film or the next film. I'm like is she gonna be the ghost of Ray's mother? Oh wow. um, she Seems like she'd be the right age for an actor. Uh, and then plus Laura Dern's such an an actor of great stature. To like think of Laura Dern being used as anything but Ray's mother in a flashback or as a ghost, I just don't know why you'd have Laura Dern. But I don't know, is her hair the right color? I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't. I, I would say, I would say Luke and 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 a deceased spouse. Okay. Um, who was probably killed by Adam Driver by uh, by by Kylo Ren. Oh, I love Adam Driver's character in the he's, movie. He's wonderful. Yeah kind of adolescence he's got going with like the tantrums and stuff. I, I love things. him. I, he's a wonderful actor. I loved him in Girls. Um, Me too. That's why yeah, I, 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 I was, him. yeah, I was a big Girls fan and so yeah, I, I think he's, he's great. Yeah. Cool. Alright, back to the serious stuff. <laughs> um, Alright, this was probably my favorite essay. Space uh, Cowboy was really good but the Nobody Gets Mad About Hamlet remarks. Okay. One. Like, I never considered that, because I was kind of in that camp, like, we've ran out of ideas, let's just do another superhero movie. Mm -hmm. But you argue completely against that. Um, would you mind, like, kind of explaining that argument a little sure. bit? Sure, yeah. I mean, I, um, well, I feel like that, and I definitely, like, so yeah, the essay, No One Gets Mad About Hamlet remakes, is, is it, yeah, the, the idea is just that, and I do disagree with myself sometimes on this point. I'll start with a caveat by saying that, like, I understand why people have like superhero fatigue you know my what i was responding to specifically was the idea that people were getting mad about remakes of superhero films where there was a new spider-man movie coming out within the same decade i think perhaps of, of spider-man 3 that was the toby Maguire Spider-Man yeah. ones and then the the andrew garfield ones and now we're again going to have another spider-man you know before the decade is out a third person playing spider-man in the same decade that andrew garfield played him um, why would you need that many? Why are we, why is Batman being rebooted again with uh, Affleck? And the sort of knee-jerk reaction to that is like, well, okay. My, what I realized, though, was that it was like, the only reason to get mad about it is because um, you somehow value the original. The thing about that is there is no original with superheroes, particularly at this point. And any hardcore comic book fan is getting like their 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 temperature is just rising as I'm saying this. But comic books are a composite narrative, right, from the get-go. You know, um, Bob Kane 
supposedly created Batman. Well, it turns out Bob Kane created Batman with Bill Finger, but Bill Finger didn't get credit for a lot of many years, and now is starting to be given credit for co-creating Batman. Two guys that created Batman wrote Batman in those er the, the early days. Over the years of just comic books alone, they're, like the comic book industry is constantly reimagining and rebooting superheroes all the yeah. time, right? So the so the the nature of the medium is a composite narrative, meaning lots of different writers and artists want to get their take on these things. So take that at the level of television or film. Who wouldn't want to do their oh, yeah, Batman? Exactly. Who wouldn't want to? Who? What writer? What writer would not want to do that? You know. The Superman films, um, the ones in the 70s and 80s um, with Christopher Reeve in them, you know, Mario Puzo, who wrote, is the novelist who wrote The Godfather, wrote the screenplay for wow. the original Superman <laughs> film. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, like, Mario Puzo was just like, sure, I can do that. You know what I mean? Like, I can write a screenplay about Superman. <laughs> who wouldn't want to write about it? Very These true. characters, you know what I mean? They're, they're so, they mean so much to so many people, and there's so many different ways you can go with them. You know? And so the, the, the Hamlet comparison is just simply the fact that there are so many restagings, and um, every year, right now, as we're talking, there's probably three Hamlets going on right now. Yeah. You know, <laughs> more. You know, if we count like community theaters, you know, there, there's, there's probably a lot. Um, and those, and, and presumably only one guy wrote those. Yeah. You know, um, so when you have a myriad of writers and artists, we're talking in like potentially the hundreds of writers and artists who have written Batman alone, just Batman. Let's see, let's say that there's a hundred different people that have written Batman. Yeah. Um, that's probably low number. Um, how could you not expect a lot of different cinematic interpretations of that? You know, it, it, it's almost too, it's almost like, you know, people would be like, well, you know, we only, we don't know, we don't need another one. It's like, well, we don't need another Hamlet either, but, yeah. but, but, but Hamlet's interesting and so is Batman, you know, and so it's like, I don't, I mean, why begrudge people at a certain, you know, Sherlock Holmes is a good example of this, you know what I mean? Like, um, once characters have been around for a while, people don't mind them coming back, you know, um. Sherlock Holmes is, is, is probably the best example of that. I mean, there are technically three on-screen Sherlock Holmes right now. In, in the mainstream, this isn't even counting like fan series and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, you know, Cumberbatch in the Sherlock, and then you know Johnny Lee Miller on um, Elementary, and then you know Robert Downey Jr. in those movies. Do we need... Do, yeah, we, you know, it turns out the world can sustain that. Yeah. Definitely. It's actually fine. And I remember I was really annoyed when Elementary came out because I was a big fan of Sherlock. And, I love Sherlock. But, but Elementary's good. I haven't watched it. You know, and it's like, it's fine. It's different. You know, so it's like, Affleck is going to be in, you know, going to be Batman. It's going to be different than Bale. You know, um, I think that I, in the, I can't remember if it's this, I think it's in the essay, is that I talk about how people called Warner Brothers when Michael Keaton was cast. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and, and, and to, to protest. Mr. Monk. Yeah, they, they were furious. And it's just like, this knee-jerk thing never goes away. You know, um, the same people that were furious on the line like four years ago about Ben Affleck being cast as Batman, I'm, I imagine already have their advanced tickets for Batman versus oh, Superman. Oh, definitely. Because that, that, rage, that rage goes away. In terms of non-superhero fans getting mad about this, I mean, give me a break. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, just like, you know, it's like, 
it, it's just criticizing something for the sake of criticizing it. It's just yeah. like, you know, in, in the one caveat, I guess I would say, which I think is in the piece, is that I understand if people are like, oh, well, they're, they're, ca they're just cashing, they're just trying to, like, make money. Yes. Then it would be like, okay, like, I sympathize with that criticize, criticism, but it, again, if you take the Shakespeare analogy, it's like the reason why people put on much do about nothing at their local community theater it's is butts and seats, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, people will go see it. They know what they know what that is. You know what I mean? Like, um, and I don't think there's anything really wrong with that necessarily. I'm sure people could say, well, it's at the expense of uh, other new films. But I think that's a little bit of a straw man. You know, I don't really know if I can get down with that. Yeah. That doesn't mean that like, if you could like, okay, like the existence of Batman versus Superman, which may or may not be a good film. They kind of irrelevant to me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't think it's going to be a good film, but at the same time, like, I think the Affleck looks pretty cool in it. Yeah, he's not going like, to watch Batman punch Superman. Yeah, I mean, I I think Affleck looks cool in it. I don't love, I didn't love uh, uh, the other the Man of Steel, but I mean, mm -hmm. Henry Cavill looks awesome. Yeah, you know, like he looks like he, he's an awesome looking Superman. You know, and so if, if you know, like, I don't know, like they're, they're you know, if I if I was if I had like a nine year old kid, I'd be like, I don't know. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's check it out. You know? I mean, I'd go check it out now just to see the new Luther, Lex Luthor character played yeah, by Jesse, Jesse Eisenberg. Eisenberg. Yeah, I think great. he's going to kill it. But No, I love him. He's wonderful. Yeah. He's a writer, too, Jesse Eisenberg. Is he? Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. He's got a book that just came out. To check that out. Humorous essays, yeah. All right. Um, well, we can wrap this up soon, but one more question. So you mentioned it's kind of like there's so many writers everyone wants to take it on. Do you think this kind of makes the comic book, sci-fi, nerd culture rise like bulletproof? It's just going to keep rising? It's not like a fad? Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I don't think it's a fad. Um, I, do, I, I, I think it will change, though. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, I think that the... I think that it, it will be... If you were to go 50 years in the future, I think that the that culture would might be unrecognizable to someone who maybe was going to, you know, Comic-Con in the 70s. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think that it, I think that it will it will change in many ways. You know what I mean? Um, science fiction publishing, but you think about just print sci-fi. Print science fiction has always been about, well, at least the relevant stuff has always been about like being on the cutting edge of like social change, you know what I mean? Okay. So, you think about the kind of science fiction that then gets makes it to the mainstream. You know, sure, um, the Avengers: Age of Ultron is not in, it, it's super intellectual, um, but the Avengers: Age of Ultron does get thrown into these sort of like socio-political conversations um, by the fans in a way. That a film like that probably wouldn't have been, you know, 20 years ago. So, if youth, if you know, the 60s thought that Star Trek was wild with its sort of, um, you know, political commentary, um, you know, I think that if you th look at things like, you know, you know, Battlestar Galactica in the previous decade was a very political show, and then, um, you know. Interstellar, I thought, was a really political film, and and, and, and it really a really cool cool movie. Things that actually that will, will do reach the mainstream, in a way that like novels might not. Um, I think that uh, 
it might, you know, I think that I think the superhero thing might be, it might calm down a bit in terms of the films, just because I don't know, I don't know how much, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like that you can't sustain this level of um, enthusiasm with a series of films that are essentially really similar at this point, um, specifically the Marvel movies. Um, I think that the, the key is to do something different. And so, you know, I mean, I like the first Kick-Ass. You know what Love I mean? the like, first Kick-Ass. And I think that, like, if they were to do another, like, Mark Millar adaptation, you know, of one of his comics, that might be really interesting. Right now, it's like, it's brands that people recognize, but, you know, um, I don't think it's going to go, I don't know if it's bulletproof. Okay. Because it can, but it'll, it'll change. You know, it's and, always be around. And I think that with sci-fi fantasy is that like sci-fi and fantasy also like eats its own. You know what I mean? So like if something gets left by the if something like backfires, like it gets destroyed by the community. Um and and, and like just unapologetically just destroyed. So I, I feel like that, you know, if if Rogue One, the Star Wars standalone movie, that if that movie tanks or is critically just Hated, they won't do more. Really? They'll, 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 they'll. I don't think so. I think they'll just be like, no, we'll stick to the main, the main episodes of, of the story. They won't do any more. They'll, 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 they'll kill just the Han Solo movie. They'll oh like, no! I think that well, because this, and maybe I'm just speaking wishfully because I kind of wish those movies didn't exist. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's like, yeah, I feel, like, I feel like that, I feel like that, like, like certain backlash means that they'll. What's a good example of this? Like you know, the 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 last Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movie was was not great, not and, and, and and did not get well received from by critics or fans, and it underperformed. You know they, you know so so when that Sony Marvel Sony um, Marvel merger was on the table, they like went for it immediately. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like stuff like that. The, the commerce matters. Okay. You know what I mean? And so like the the, the commerce of co- commerce of these things does does matter. You know, Star Trek is a good example there. Like. Um, you know, the first Star Trek film by J.J. Abrams, the, the new ones, was really, really successful at the box office. And arguably the reason why we have a new Star Wars film. You know what I mean? Like, in terms of making that viable. I mean, that's insane to think that that movie even got made and it was, you know, it was good as it was. Oh. You know what I mean? It's still very, very good. But now it feels sort of quaint because we're, like, so used to that now. And Star Trek Into Darkness was not very good. But, like, as yeah, soon as, like... Watch that one. Right, but as soon as, like, Star Trek Into Darkness was, like, wasn't very good and didn't do well at the box office, it was, like... Okay, and now what do you know? Star Trek's going to go back to TV, you know what I mean? Which is a, a format that it that it should be in. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's just because of commerce. They're just like, well, we can't really get a return on this brand if we do a bunch of movies, and there's and there maybe there's too many of these movies now that it's like, let's just try to. So the commerce of the art does does matter, but you know, what do you know? There's a new Harry Potter. Thing that's coming out yeah. this year, you know what I mean? Like, some of that has to do with with commerce. You know that what I mean? Makes sense. But I mean, the fact that Harry Potter is a canonical part of like the geek landscape is relevant because it's new. It's relatively new. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it from is. the nineties. Yeah. Late nineties. Well, man, thanks so much sure. for doing yeah, this. Yeah, no problem. It's a lot of fun. For yeah, me. you bet. Yeah, very, very good. Very fun. Thank you. Cool. All right. Yeah, you probably got too much there. I've <laughs> got. Uh, Thank you.
Hey everyone, so if you're still listening, uh, I'm guessing you enjoyed it or uh, you couldn't change the station while you were driving, either one. Thank you for listening. We'll take it off. <laughs> we will take it all. Before we go, we just want to say visit us at theyorkreview.com to find all of our episodes, which we will hopefully be uploading a new one soon, and check out the York Review. It's going to balloon up. All right, let's talk about that for a minute. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. Um, I was trying to be very well spoken. Felt a lot of pressure. I think I was trying to say blown up. Has really blown up. Has really blown up or maybe um, blew up. Some kind mm-hmm. of real word. Yeah. But it came out as balloon. Yeah. So we've been teasing Austin all week about it. You probably didn't even hear it, but he's I mean, been obsessing over it. He's shaking right now. <laughs> Shaking in my boots. <laughs> in his boots. <laughs> yeah, it was horrible. Um, I <laughs> didn't want to relive it, but I felt like I had to bring it up so people didn't think, like, does this guy know how to say blown? I know how to say blown. Came out blown. I'm sorry. Most of the content was good, I hope. I deeply apologize. Thank you, Austin. Thank you. Also, please check out Ryan Britt. He is an amazing writer. And buy his book, please. Luke Skywalker can't read. It's great collection of essays, kind of waxing philosophical about Star Wars <laughs> and Star Trek, just geek culture in general, tying that into real life and getting through life. So, the, uh, the balloon boy and I thank you for listening. Uh, fuck you. <laughs> thank you, everyone. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>